Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Trick Talks. My name is Barbara Lally and today we are going to speak with Holly again. She has been so gracious to come on a second time to continue our conversation. So we're going to give her a few moments to log in to the live and then we're going to get started. Okay, I see her. Hello. <laughs> good to see you again. Nice to see you again. How are you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm. I'm feel strange without my background, so. Yeah, well, it looks cute. <laughs> <laughs> nice little travel aesthetic there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So are you ready to get started? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Perfect, so I know that we had some notes last time um, mm -hmm. that we wanted to talk about before the hour went up. Tell me just one thing that you left off last time that you wanna kind of start with. Oh gosh. Um, we talked about so much and, and we covered a lot of different aspects of my journey from like when I first started all the way up until, you know, now, like 16, 17 years later when I'm teaching yoga and I've come out for the second time <laughs> with trichotillomania. Um, it's been, it's been a ride and there's so much that I have to offer. So I really, I'm getting this intuitive feeling that it's going to be me sharing like what I use now. And that's kind of going to be the focus of it. Um, so I'm ready to talk about anything that, anything that really stuck out to you. I know I'm kind of turning this back on to you, mm -hmm. um, but I'm really interested to hear like what stuck with you from the last time. And then we can go from there because there was so much. Yes. <laughs> There's so yes. much. And as soon as I start talking, you pretty much can't get me to stop. <laughs> No, that's awesome. No, I think one of the things that did that did stand out to me was the way that you not only approached like learning about trick because you have trick, but also like learning the you know everything behind what the brain is doing. You know, you brought a lot of science into our conversation, which was great because you know, especially when I was younger, I was just like I would look internally, right? And I would just like constantly blame myself. And I think that it was really great that you kind of like looked into the actual science behind it mm -hmm. and helped yourself that way as well. How did yeah. you get into that mindset? Because I, 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 you know, for me, it seems like hard to try like to change it into that more scientific mm -hmm. mindset. So I... I love how things work. That's just how my brain works. I 
have to have like a bigger picture of something for me to really like click with it. Like I've always been that way. Like in school, I had to understand why things worked for me to be able to like recreate it and understand it and be able to explain it and teach it. So I, it was just a very gradual process of asking myself, okay, well, why do I do this? And then Googling that or researching that. Um, And really what kind of prompted this whole, the, the scientific aspect of it was um, something that I did in high school. And I can't remember if I talked about this before, um, but I had a senior project in high school and um, it was based off of Ben Franklin. And I love to talk about this because most people don't know uh, this, this about Ben Franklin, but um, he was very, very much ahead of his time, kind of like a Leonardo da Vinci. And he just had a very different way of thinking about the world and seeing the world. And he was very, very open-minded and tried a bunch of different things. And um, his spiritual beliefs were very fluid. And he was just known for tinkering with stuff and was just very, very scientific about his whole life. And um, we were assigned a project based on uh, what something that Ben Franklin did. And he was all about living his life according to virtues. So he lived a very virtuous, virtuous, honorable life. And he would do this every day where he had kept a chart and had a list of different virtues that he was trying to live up to, kind of like a religious text where you you know want to live up to being a good person. Um, but it was just a list of virtues. And Every single day, he would check off, okay, did I live up to this virtue? No, okay, maybe tomorrow I'll do better, blah, blah, blah. And he would track himself based on his character and and work on himself, like as if he were a living, breathing project. And I, at the time, had never even thought of that concept before um, because all of our school projects are focused on math, science, language arts, like all this external stuff and you're, you know, to learn about track and grade and all that kind of stuff. But we don't often work on ourselves, like until we become adults and realize that, you know, our, our lives are a direct reflection of who we are as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And not really if we can get good grades or if we can, you know, achieve this or do that, it's more or less based on our character, you know, our, our beliefs about the world, and then also how we treat ourselves. Um, and, and it also depends on, again, like how, how we, we feel we should show up in the world. And if we have an idea of how we should show up in the world, then we can kind of base what are our decisions and our day-to-day lives according to that version of us that we're, we're striving towards. So anyways, we were assigned this project and in a very similar way, we had to make a list of virtues that we wanted to live up to for like a month. And um, we had to track our progress and, and you got to pick, you know, what virtues, and then you got to create your own, you know, self self monitoring program. And so I picked a list of virtues and I can't remember all the virtues. I'm sure I'll go back and and find them because they were, they were very impactful for me. Um, so I, I, I did what Ben Franklin did, and I tracked my behavior according to, you know, this virtue and this virtue. And I, I do remember one of the virtues was promptness, because one of my habitual behaviors is to be late. Um, now, much further along down my journey, I know that that is actually a sign of obsessive compulsive disorder. It's not necessarily just a, a symptom of laziness or depression or anything like that. And we can talk about that later. Um, and so I 
and you know, every day was checking off my list, like, okay, did I live up to this? No, blah, blah, blah. And in the process of that, I started trying new things. And that was the first time I actually seriously sat down to do meditation and had a meditation practice every morning. Um, and so long story short, I kept up with it. And I had amazing results as far as pretty much every area of my life and also my trichotillomania. And that was the first time I realized that I could actually work on it. Like if I put effort into it, that I would have a positive result. And, um, and so I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta create like a schedule for myself and start doing this regularly. And that was like my first introduction to self-help. And I became like obsessed with the subject and I read a ton of books. And, um, when you dive into self-help, the science aspect of, you know, the brain and everything kind of works its way in. There's, there's different, you know, different branches of the self-help world. There's more of the medical, you know, professional scientists and everything and positive psychology and, um, and all kinds of stuff, neuroscience. And then there's the branch of self-help where it's more about success and money and, and achieving your financial goals. And then there's another branch of self-help that's more spiritual and religious. Well, they're all connected. <laughs> and I went down all of the, the all of the routes. <laughs> and so I picked up a lot of the science along the way. But like I said, I already had kind of like a, like a, a personality type for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just I really clung to it, because the more that I paid attention to my behaviors and tried things out, I became my own scientist, really. And that's what I try to encourage everybody to do is to become a scientist in your own life. Like you don't have to, you know, enjoy physics or chemistry or anything like that to approach your life like a scientist. And I firmly believe that, you know, we co-create our our lives with the universe, with that energy, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's our job to, to be present and, you know, set goals and intentions and work our way there, but then also allow divine timing and the universe to support you and other people to come into your life and things to happen and plans to change. So I'm very flexible in my approach. Um, but to this day, I journal every single day. I, I journal about everything because it has been so powerful in my life. Um, I'm, I'm doing it all the time. And, uh, and like I said, science is just something that I picked up along the way. And what's really interesting is that I didn't know that neuroscience was a field until really until my cousin um, introduced me to the subject because she was going to go to college and study neuroscience. Um, and I had heard, you know, of, of you know, the combining science and spirituality and, and the, the brain and psychology and all that stuff. But once I figured out what really the core was, I was like, oh, man, this stuff needs to be shared with the trick community because it's exactly describing what's going on in the brain during the whole experience from your urges from you know uh the trick trance and you know what that is and and why it becomes an addiction really over time and 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 so i just i love every part of it and i'm here to answer any of your questions about science (laughs) and the science behind it perfect so i I do want to know um, I'm sure there is a difference, but I, what for you is the difference between like setting those virtues for like trick and also um, like just like behavior tracking in general? Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, like, I love question. Well, because I, 
I know from well from my experience and some from 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 other people that I've spoken to, sometimes mm -hmm. behavior tracking can have a negative impact. So there, there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're having a positive, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. reaction to setting these virtues. How? Yeah, I would love to know how they're yeah. how they're different for yeah. you, and if they're not okay too. <laughs> I have never been asked this question, but I'm so so grateful that you're asking because it is it's going to help me clarify the difference between the two and why it works. So I'm really glad that you asked that. So in my experience, the difference between behavior tracking, just plain old behavior tracking and living according to virtues is the emotional component, right? Like you just said it when you, some people, when they start to track their behaviors and pay attention to, did I do this or did I not do this? It has a negative connotation of like, you know, grading yourself and, and, you know, failure and all, all of those kind of negative um, emotions, but living according to virtues is more or less you're imagining yourself the best version of yourself. And you are just tracking whether or not, um, whether or not you are focusing on that that day. So like, if you fall short, at least you were trying to be a better person, right? Like it has a more, um, for me at least, a more inspiring tone than just, you know, grading myself of, okay, did I pull today? Yes. Okay. X, red X, you know, oh, I failed another day that I didn't pull. And also the other thing is that I do do behavior tracking just for data purposes, like just having, you know, the plain old black and white data. Mm -hmm. um, but according to virtues, you're, you're, you're reaching for positive things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so for example, the one of the virtues that I now like constantly, you know, remind myself and live up, up to is promptness. So instead of trying myself saying, Oh, I'm late again, my internal dialogue is always like, okay, whenever I am presented with a situation where I could act now or act later, my goal is to act now. Right. So like the, the focus of, of the tracking is a little bit more positive. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. But I do also wonder when you do, I know you said when you, when you fall short, it's not as negative and I can, I can understand yeah. that, but have yeah. you had, when you first started, did you mm -hmm. find yourself having to kind of train yourself out of that negative response right away if you fell short or was it never there like was there never a really a negative um feeling if you didn't like live up to the virtue that day because it's yeah. always working yeah hmm, that's a good question um it's been a while I'll, I'll say this to start it's been a while since i have punished myself for not living up to an expectation because that is something that I have learned to let go of completely. Um, but when I first started doing this, I would say that I was more excited about the idea of, of creating this version of myself that I was proud of that I didn't I failed because at least I was trying. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and it was the focus wasn't always on, did I pull or did I not pull? It was just about, did I put any effort into being, being this person? And 
you don't even have to put that much effort into it. Like just by waking up and setting the intention, just by setting the intention to be more prompt, to be more patient, to be more courageous, Mm -hmm. that feels better when you set that intention rather than I'm going to focus on not pulling today. I'm going to go pull free. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's, There's a different, there's a different feeling behind it. So when I fell short of, being prompt I was like oh well I'm always late anyway so at least I you know I I tried it today and if I fell short of being patient I I reframed that in my mind to be like okay well this is happening and this was supposed to happen the you know the way the way it happened and I'm going to accept it and and if I fell short of um being courageous like if I if I set out to do something that challenged my comfort zone and I backed out my first reaction at least now is to have compassion. Like I at least had that intention. I think that is the most important thing is having the intention. Um, But when you have the intention to like stop pulling that day, you kind of have this like inner dialogue of like, "Mm, no, you won't. You're going to pull later. Like immediately there's just always the negativity behind that. Right. And like when you think about it in terms of if I can be more patient with myself, I'll be more relaxed, I'll be more calm, and I won't be as triggered to pull. So you're kind of like taking it steps before you even get to that point mm-hmm. and trying to aim for a completely new approach at life. Yeah, and I love that you're, the virtues for the day, like you said, aren't just, I want to be pull-free today. Because like you said, that anytime I ever tried that, like putting that pressure, makes it worse. I'm going to probably pull more that day because I'm so stressed out that I don't want to, that I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to, it's going to backfire my face. But I think that, like you said, it's so important to have those steps beforehand. So maybe Mm -hmm. for you, like you said, being prompt when you are running late, maybe your hand is gravitating toward your hair. Maybe that is something Mm -hmm. that is a trigger for you. And I really, I really Mm -hmm. like that because it brings you to become like a, a better person in, you know, in your own eyes mm-hmm. without just saying, okay, I need to stop this. Instead, yeah. you're tackling behaviors that might trigger it. I like that. Yeah. And you're aiming to be a, a, a whole being and not be a person who doesn't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that negative connotation of I'm going to be somebody who doesn't pull anymore rather versus I'm going to be somebody who's courageous who's patient and compassionate with myself mm-hmm. and some also, you know, perseveres through challenges. Like that's what I'm shooting for. I'm not looking at, you know, right here in front of my face, the baldness of my eyelids and my eyebrows and my head. I'm looking at the person that I need to become that doesn't pull anymore. Mm-hmm. And those words that you use are so positive when you say, Oh, I don't want to pull that. It just, it does bring, everything Mm -hmm. down you know it does Mm -hmm. kind of feel suffocating when the words that you've chosen have more of an you know an inspiring feel that's suffocating yes yes and and there's a reason for that because overall what i want to do with my journey and and what i hope to inspire other people to do with their journey is to enjoy it and to actually embrace the healing process to be like, this is actually something that is going to make me a better person. 
by working through it and healing through it instead of just, like I said before, instead of just, you know, checking it off your list and never thinking about it again, you know, to even tell yourself, your inner child, you know, your soul that, okay, once I get over this, I've had this for, let's say 24 years. Once I get over this, I'm going to not think about that time in my life ever again and forget it even happened and just not acknowledge it. But in doing that, we're rejecting a part of ourselves. And whether we, our minds, like acknowledge that or not, mm-hmm. we're telling our body that. And that's the thing is that whatever we're, what's, whatever's going on in our minds, the dialogue up there is affecting our whole body, right? Like it's manifesting through anxiety, through impatience, through um, stress and insecurity, all that stuff. Cause our body is listening to what's going on in our head. And I don't mean that to like scare anybody. Like you don't have to monitor your thoughts every second. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not possible, nor is it necessary. Um, but when we do, when we do engage in a conscious thought or a behavior or a conversation, what we want to do is try to be as positive as we can and not like toxic positivity where we're bypassing, you know, very real things. Mm-hmm. We want to be what I like to call realistically optimistic <laughs> because I feel like people who consider themselves realist are actually pessimistic. They just go based on you know, what they see in front of them and what they see in front of them is all there is, which is not the case. <laughs> and, uh, and yoga teaches you that, that what we see with our eyes, what we even feel with our hands, what we can smell, all of the things that we can sense with our five senses, that's not all there is, mm-hmm. right? Because if that were true, we wouldn't have a soul. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you detect your soul with your five senses? Right, other, right, right. Than, other than your gut feeling, your sixth sense. Mm-hmm. So, so, <laughs> so like I said, it's, it's, it's about being realistically optimistic. You were acknowledging reality saying, look, I'm struggling with this or I'm having a bad day. I feel really bad, but I am going to focus on what uplifts me. That's mm-hmm. what's going Now I have, I spoke with someone about their version of success. A lot of times people tie success when it comes to trichotillomania with like, how many days have I gone without pulling? Mm-hmm. What would be, what is success to you when it comes to trick? Are you happy? Are you truly happy in this moment or not? That's it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I teach yoga for people, for anybody. I mean, anybody in the trick community, whether or not you want to stop pulling or, you know, or you, you know, you've accepted it or anything like that. It's, the, the goal is you being fully happy in this moment right now because life is too short and there's no time to put off your happiness and there's no reason to. Like all of these, these layers of judgment and shame and beauty standards and, and success standards and all that stuff, all, all it's doing is just putting a cap and, and a limitation on your happiness in this moment. It's putting your happiness far away at the other side of the mountain, you know, on a beach somewhere when you go on vacation, that's not where happiness is. Happiness is an experience that you have inside your body, inside your body. And you can make it happen 
no matter what your outside circumstances are. And so a lot of the healing work is doing things in this moment so that you can just bring your happiness level back up and you mm -hmm. can enjoy healing. And, and once you've made the journey to healing enjoyable to you specifically, uniquely you, is either not going to matter to you anymore and then you're healed or it will eventually stop because it no longer serves you. It no longer serves the purpose that you needed it. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I think, I think it is so important to understand that one success looks different for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Like actually looks different, but also like looks different inside, mm -hmm. but also being able to love that journey, like you said, because you know, so often I'll receive messages, I'm sure you do too, of like, how do I stop this? How do I stop this? And it's like, that's, we can't just want yeah. that. Like that, that's, yeah. some people do stop. I mean, some, I yeah. know people who just do, I don't know how they do, but they just do. And like, to me, that was something I could never, you know, want to strive for because I feel like I was setting myself up for failure because mm -hmm. that's just not my journey. My journey is not mm -hmm. to just stop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about this before. And it's no coincidence that you and I are having this conversation, you know, because of trichotillomania, because we're still, you know, on the journey, we haven't sort of reached the point where we've, we've either stopped pulling or we're completely healed. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think the journey is supposed to stop, especially if you if there's a purpose there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's an active, it's an act of giving away the gift whatever it is, whatever your unique services, your, your gifts are, and, and, and using trick as, as a way to, to package your gifts and help people who struggle with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying earlier about enjoying the journey and, and the virtues and everything, doesn't it feel better to think that you're going to strive to be the best version of yourself rather than to stop pulling for a week, for two weeks, for a month, for two years? and like focus on that every single day. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's more of like shifting the subtle shifting of the mindset and the vocabulary that you're using so that you begin to enjoy the work, enjoy mm. the practice of healing, enjoy the lifestyle of self care. And it doesn't become a job, mm -hmm. <laughs> something that you live up to. And, and I, I'm, I'm, kind of blanking on the perfect word here, but I'm going to use the word religion just because it's a good analogy. Um, because, because that has an element of practice, you know, you know, praying or going to church every Sunday and community and being with other people who want to better themselves. Um, you know, I, I personally don't have a religion, but I have a practice. I have a spiritual practice, one that enlivens my soul, my spirit, one that aligns me with my true self one that inspires me to wake up every morning and to do the work and to practice, get on my mat, do yoga, and also take care of myself. I feel like that, that's the goal. To me, like my goals have shifted now. Like I, for, for a very long time, until I think yoga came around, really, honestly, my goal was to be completely pull-free before I got married because I wanted to walk down the aisle with my eyelashes, my eyebrows, my own <laughs> and, you know, and, and thick hair. And I just like, I wanted that to be, you know, the turning point in my life where I can close the door and not think about trick anymore. I was of that mindset. Like I'm totally 
admitting that like that's how I thought and now seeing how much I've already helped people and I haven't even begun to scratch the surface I almost feel like it it could go either way if I never stop pulling completely I think I would be okay with it and if mm -hmm. I stop pulling great then I don't have to wear fake eyelashes anymore <laughs> but everything else I'm working through without you know without needing to be completely 100% pull free every single day of my life mm -hmm. and something you just said clicked in my brain when you said you know the goal is to be happy and to be the best version of yourself and trick is not should not be the forefront i it was i had a hard time like understanding like i'm so happy like i'm at the happiest point like the last six years of my life have been like the best you know i'm just so happy and everything and my trick is still here and i was like confused by that but now that you said this to me i'm realizing like mm -hmm. those are two separate things like it doesn't to mm -hmm. me trick doesn't have to be like this bad thing like oh no i'm missing stuff like that's bad yeah. no it's just as me and i'm i'm the happiest i've been and now mm -hmm. i'm getting to the point where i'm comfortable in public just how i am yeah and that was, yeah. that was good. <laughs> I, yeah. I just clicked it, around. Oh. Yep. Yep. It's, it, it's funny that you say it like that because it's one of those things that takes a little time to click. It's a completely new way of looking at something. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, what comes to mind are those, those book of illusions, you know, where when you look at it, like it looks like just blobs and like nothing, but the longer you look at it and if you look at it a certain way, then all of a sudden you see this beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes a little time to recalibrate your thoughts and to see things a little bit differently, especially us hair pullers who've been conditioned and conditioned ourselves every single day to see this as a negative thing and to shame ourselves for it, to just be like, oh yeah, I don't, this doesn't bother me anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a timely shift. And that's also something that cannot be forced. Mm -hmm. it's moment when you realize you're like oh I'm I'm happy like I'm where I wanted to be and this is still around like you said but mm -hmm. I, I'm not so distressed by it I'm not distressed by the idea of it by the struggle there really is no struggle anymore mm -hmm. um and eventually you just you find yourself there and then you get to look back and you're like wow I I'm there mm -hmm. I'm there and all it took was just taking care of myself and acknowledging my needs and embracing the struggle and just being with it and working through it and not trying to resist it and hide it and lock it away and never thinking about it again. Like it's, it's part of us. And as long as we reject it, we're going to suffer and it's going to stick around. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, at first, when it first happens, the, everyone's response, my response, my parents' responses, the doctors were like, this has to stop. You know, everything was like, yeah. you have to stop this. You have to stop this. And so, of course, I'm not going to be like, oh, trick it to mm -hmm. the mania. Like, let me befriend you. Like, let me understand mm -hmm. you and love you for being yeah. part of me. It was like, no, no, mm -hmm. get away from me. And now, what, 20 years later, I'm like myself, you know, I'm like fully yeah. embracing it. And I'm like, 20 yeah. years, you know, but that's just how how else are we supposed to react when everyone else around us is acting that way like you know yeah yeah 
And, and the one thing that I, I have to say about that, especially when, you know, going out in public with it, people treat you how you carry yourself. And if you walk around, you know, if you decide, and okay, so here's, here's a little advice for, for our viewers. If you decide to go out in public without makeup, without a wig, or just showing even just a small area of your body that you pull from, my number one tip is to work it, girlfriend, work it. And people will be like, oh, that's, that's normal. Oh, okay. So she's cool. All right. Yeah. I'm cool with it too. Oh yeah. Oh, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it'll just like, it'll just be okay in their brains. And some people won't even notice it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a store with no makeup on and they don't give me like a second look because they're just in their own world. Right. But when we have the body language of I'm small, I'm hiding something, I'm afraid of, that you're going to stare at me and look at me. People notice that and they respond. It's, it's science. <laughs> it's something called mirroring is, is really what it is. People will mirror your behaviors back to you. And if you, if you want to go out in public, don't, don't carry with you that, that air of worry or shame or anything. Cause then you're just going to see that reflected back to you through everybody else. And you're going to be like, screw that. I'm never doing that again. Cause I got the results that I thought I was going to get. And I had a, I had a, um, a person on named Julia when she was younger, she actually like had the confidence to tell her whole class, like every year she would like tell her whole class about her trick. And she oh. never had, any type of like negative um, interactions because everyone understood it and it just makes total sense. I was the opposite. I'm like hiding everything. And then, yep. oh, you're yep. wearing headbands every day. You know, things like that would yeah. come to me often. And I wonder how would have my life been different if I had that confidence to say, look, this is me. This is what I do. Be educated on it. I'm going to help you understand. Like yeah. she did since a very young age. I was like, you are impressive. Like I was like, I wish I did that. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, me too. Mm -hmm. So we have a question in the chat. Oh, awesome. Cool. So it says, do you guys think that I should ask a doctor for help for it or I can stop by myself? Ooh, okay. There's so much to that question. I'm going to, I'm going to let you, um, comment first. If there's yeah. anything. <laughs> okay. I'm like thinking too, like the wheels are spinning because yeah. it is such a, yeah. it is, it's difficult to answer mm -hmm. because part of me, yeah, part of me, I, you know, it's very important for me to, to share that some, some doctors like don't know anything about it. And so it's so important for you to go to someone who understands, like I've had so mm -hmm. many, um, negative experiences because I'm looking for help and they can't give it to me because they just don't get it. And mm -hmm. so then I feel discouraged and I feel like, Oh, you know, I tried help to get help this time. Should yeah. I try again? I think going to a doctor that definitely specializes, cause maybe you can learn something new, which would always yeah. be great. Like adding to your, you know, your trickster toolkit. But I, yeah. I would definitely vet them, like make sure they know what they're talking about. Cause yeah that that just like hurts so bad as like a young child to go somewhere looking for help and they're like what do you mean I'm like what do you mean i'm here for you like <laughs> yeah you're a doctor you're supposed to help me why are you asking me questions <laughs> yes yes 
Yeah. So I feel like this is a two-part question. So I'm going to answer the first part about going to a doctor. I have a slightly different approach. Now, knowing what I know now, I would have a slightly different approach. I would not go to the doctor about trichotillomania. I would go to the doctor about something else you're struggling with. If you with anxiety, depression, OCD, family issues, relationship issues, child, childhood trauma, go to the doctor about that. And I would guarantee you that it's going to help your trichotillomania, number one. And number two, start small. You want to start small. You don't want to tackle this huge thing that's involved in so many areas of your life and triggered by so many different things. You want to take on one thing at a time. For me, healing is a lifestyle. So when I address trichotillomania, I address all things that could and can and do lead to trichotillomania. My OCD, my perfectionism, my people-pleasing tendencies, like all of these things that lead to trichotillomania. So if you're, and I'm, you know, talking to the person who asked this question, if you're not at that point yet where you don't know what triggers your trichotillomania, then number one, start trying to figure that out. So pay attention to, you know, what are, things are going on for you when you get the urge to pull and you start pulling. And then that's, those are the things that you work on, not the actual act. That is just a snowball effect. And that's something that's all, you know, save that for later. Cause there's so many other that lead to that. And like earlier, you know, when you start working on other areas of your life, everything is connected. So if you, if you heal your childhood trauma, if you, you know, work on your anxiety or your depression, everything else is going to start to uplift and get better. So that, that's my answer for the first question is no, do not see a doctor for trichotillomania. I, there's so few out there. Um, and like you said, if you can't find one, then you just get disappointed and disheart, disheartened and then you don't want to continue on the journey. So start with something you can do. I have a mug that says this and I almost brought it to, to this talk. It says, do what you can where you are. Yeah. So there was a second part to that question. Something about um, so, like stopping mm -hmm. the pulling. Or can I can I stop by myself? One hundred percent. I would say that 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 is just a hands down yes. If you believe that you can stop and you have the commitment to do so, commitment to the journey overall, that is something that's going to happen for you. I fully and firmly believe that. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, the timeline is different for everybody. But like we said earlier, that should not be our main focus. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to know, I want to ask you about the trance. The trance is so fascinating. Yeah. I want to yeah. know the science that you know behind the trance. Like, why am I in this trance, like, hours long sometimes? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like nothing exists. Just me. Like, I used to sit on the sink. Me in the mirror. Yeah. Just yep. me. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so there's a couple different sides to this. Number one, let's talk about stress. So when our brain is overwhelmed and stressed out, it wants to go into default mode where the, the base of the brain, the, the basal ganglia, you know, this area, the reptilian brain, all your basic functions and your survival instincts are seated. So the brain wants to shut down 
up here where you have your logical thinking, your, you know, your, your engagement with life and just revert back to your basic needs and the behaviors that support your most basic needs. And really your brain is just trying to get it to you as fast as you can to eliminate and, and, and lower that stress. So part of what happens when you go into the trick trance is this, this switch in your brain, you go from, you know, fully engaged and focused and, and wanting to like explore and learn life and all that kind of stuff to the, the base of the brain and your, your behaviors that you've practiced so much that it doesn't require a lot of mental effort up here. Um, we do at anything. It could be thinking, it could be running a marathon, anything that requires energy and focus and, and like something changing, learning, anything like that, anything that's mentally challenging actually releases stress hormones called acetylcholine in the brain. And you feel acetylcholine when you feel that kind of like antsy feeling, like when you're trying to solve a problem and you're like, God, I can't figure it out. And you're like, mm. and you have this kind of like a little bit stressed out feeling and your brain's like, you can feel, you know, the person in your brain, like running to all the cabinets, trying to like <laughs> put things together. And there's like a little element of stress and, and, um, and kind of challenge to it. Well, that's actually releasing uh, a chemical in your brain that is a stress chemical. And it has a purpose because when we stress our brains, it actually lays the groundwork to for new neural pathways and new neurons in the brain. So it, it is something positive, but the what we feel, because we're mainly feeling creatures, is a little bit of tension and stress. And so the brain, when it gets overstressed and overwhelmed, it wants to eliminate all, all stress whatsoever and just shut down. And so when we're in the trance, we're doing something we've practiced so many times that it doesn't take any effort whatsoever. In fact, it, it's actually stimulating. It's helping the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's it has that element of relief because it doesn't challenge us in any way. It just rewards us. It's just reward after reward after reward to the brain. Not necessarily to our logical mind or personality of like, I don't want to do this anymore. But to the brain, it's rewarding. So there's that element to it. And then there's the element of meditation. And here's where it's going to get kind of funky. And I'm going to plug my phone in because I, um, I think I'm running low on battery here. My screen went dark. So what I have found is that pulling is a type of meditation. And that is why it is so effective in calming and soothing you because it's a simple activity you don't need any tools we use tools but we don't need any tools and it engages the brain enough to where it stimulates you and stimulates the reward in your brain but it doesn't challenge you and stress you out so it creates this perfect behavior pattern that just sustains itself over and over and over again. And in the same way, it's kind of like a meditation where it's a tool for getting the brain into a certain relaxed state. Um, but the difference between pulling and meditation is that you, in meditation, you can continue to go deeper and deeper in your brain waves, relaxing more and more until you fall asleep. 
But the act of pulling kind of keeps you at a certain level where you're still stimulated, but it relaxes you enough. So let me let me give you an example and kind of, you know, relate this in, in real terms. So I, I'm just going to throw a little warning out here for anybody watching. This may be triggering because I'm going to talk you through all the, the thought process behind pulling. So let's say we're already staring in a mirror and we've already started pulling and we've engaged that kind of cyclical process. So we'll look in the mirror. That's the first, the first thing because our brain is looking for a chance to reward itself, to have some feeling of relief. So we look at ourselves, we scan the face looking for something that we feel we deem, you know, is rewarding. We find it. We get a little, you know, feeling of excitement, maybe for half a second, which again, further reels us in. And then, you know, we pull it out and then we get another feeling of reward because whatever, you know, we pulled out made our face look a certain way that we think that we, you know, feel better about. And then the process starts again, because at that point, if you try to introduce another thought of, well, I really need to do this. I need to stop. I need to stop. The brain's like, shh, this is easier. Look again. Look and find it, pull it out, reward. Okay, I really have to stop now. But I don't know how that's so hard. You're right. It's super hard. I don't know how to do it right now. Boom, back at the mirror. Let's look for another reward. So it's this thought process. And it, sometimes it happens so fast that you can't... you can't even monitor your thought process, which you learn how to do, you know, with meditation. Um, but it's a, it's a slightly conscious activity, just enough so that you can be aware of what's going on, but not really in control. Mm -hmm. So kind of leads perfectly into my go-to practice for stopping a, a, a polling session. And the thing that you have to do to get out of a pulling session where you're kind of locked in this cyclical cycle where getting out of the cycle is, is harder and more stressful. So it just kind of pushes you right back in. You have to change your mental state. And fastest way to do that is through the breath, through the breath, truly. And I know, I know a lot of people watching and maybe even you as well are thinking, okay, so is she going to have me do like a five count breath, do a relaxing, calming breath? No, 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 no. We do not need a calming breath at this moment. We need a breath that energizes us to move and motivates us. It gets us to move out of the situation because we're in a situation where we're just like below conscious level. We're in just conscious enough where we're aware of what's going on, but the trick has taken over. Like we're down here. So we need to bump it up here so that we activate this and then we can make a better decision, move away from the mirror, go do something different. So what I do is something called uh, the Tremont technique. I named it after, after my grandmother. She just recently passed away um, and she struggled with uh, mental illness and addiction. And so I named it after her because I, want to remember her number one, but also remember the fact that every day that I'm alive, I have the opportunity to work on myself and I still have a chance to overcome this if I really want to, if I really want to. So I'm going to walk you guys through, if that's okay with you, I'm going to walk yeah. you guys through 
your breath exercise. And I'm going to just explain it step by step, you know, what you do. And then after I'm going to explain the science behind it and why it works for me every single time. So let's say we're, I'm pulling, I'm just going to put my hand up here and I can, you can be eyes closed, eyes open. It does not matter. So I'm in the act of pulling. And the first step really is to become aware that you're pulling first step. And sometimes that first step doesn't even happen right away. Like, you know, we know that we could be pulling for 10 minutes and then be like, oh my gosh, I'm pulling. So you start at that point when you become aware that you're pulling. So I'm pulling, I've become aware that I'm pulling. So the first thing I do, I exhale all of the air out of my lungs. And I hold the breath at the bottom, no air in my lungs, and I continue to pull. This is going to sound very strange, and I'll explain why. So I have no air in my lungs. I allow myself to keep pulling. And then when I feel in my lungs that I cannot take another second without a breath, I pull my hand down, and then I take a deep breath in. And then I take two more, sometimes two more, until I feel satisfied. And then sometimes my hand will go back up here and I do the same thing. I allow myself to keep pulling. I exhale, hold at the bottom with no air in my lungs until it's uncomfortable. And this is the, this is the challenging part. You have to hold it until it's uncomfortable. And then you pull your hand down, even if just pull it away from your face or grab onto something, you know, something in your hand. And then allow yourself to take a deep breath. And I do yogi breath, so I breathe in through the belly all the way up into the chest and then I let the breath fall out of the chest and I pull the belly in and I do that until I feel good which when you've been holding your breath for a little while and then you take a deep breath in it feels good immediately <laughs> so I want to hear your your thoughts on that before I explain all all the parts of it well I love it I love that I I definitely can see how that would be helpful when in the trance I when I've been in the trance, like sitting on the sink and just like going, you know, going hard, getting everything. If I like jump up, mm -hmm. I just have to like, it's not that slow. Like let's climb down, let's stretch yeah. up. Like I'm like, I better jump and like shake my body. And I can mm -hmm. see how that would be, the breathing technique would be extremely helpful too. And I like, I like the, I, the part where, you know, you're holding the breath and then you release so then when you breathe in and you get that positive feeling while well, your hand's not there anymore, kind of getting that, that feeling of reward mm -hmm. without the pulling. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. So I'm going to reveal the whole backstage of what's going on with this whole thing. Cause there's actually a lot that's going on and there's a reason why I do it specifically like that. So <clears throat> I want to touch upon something that you said, because you said um, that sometimes when you're pulling, you just kind of like shake or you jump or you do like a, you know, a, a, a movement that shakes you out of it, which is great. That is essentially what we're doing. We're changing our state, you know, we're quickly shifting out of it. Um, but for me, I did not even have the willpower to do that. And I hate to say it because it just, like, I just felt so, I feel so helpless in those, mo those moments. I can't get my body to change because I'm so, um, I'm so like desiring and needing relief. I'm like, I can't push my body to do anything. So with that in mind, 
I kind of came up with this accidentally, honestly, it wasn't like a conscious plan of like, Oh, okay, well, this breath goes here, and I should combine this with this. It was it was as natural as, as you kind of like playing around with something and all of a sudden the pieces come together. Like that's how it happened. And, and, and honestly, when I came up with it, it, I didn't come up with it in the healthiest way. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. So there was this one night, it was really, really late at night. And in those moments when I'm like almost half, like almost asleep, I have no willpower whatsoever. Cause I'm just like, you know, like you're just completely like, just almost like you're drugged. You know what I mean? You, you have no mental capacity whatsoever. And you're just like, so I'm like, I can't get myself to even move from this position. How do I get myself to stop? And I'm like, okay, I, I'm just so frustrated. Like, you're not going to take another breath until you at least pull your hand away from your face. So I did that. And I don't recommend you telling yourself that because I did it more of like a punishment. But what came out of it was the most profound exercise that I've ever discovered. So let's walk through the science. Okay. So the reason, number one, the reason why I have myself exhale all the air out is because, number one, you are decreasing the amount of time that you're going to be pulling. Because I plan on allowing myself to pull. But if I exhale, I have no air in my lungs, so I'm going to need that breath sooner, which means I'm probably going to stop sooner, right? The other thing is that I want to be maximum uncomfortable maximum uncomfortable you're going to use and this is what I love about this this technique and I myself have even fallen out of practicing it a lot but when I do practice it I my pulling decreases dramatically dramatically but I have to practice it regularly so we exhale the, the air out and then we hold it at the at the base of the breath right and we allow ourselves to pull number one I just couldn't get my hand away from my face that's why I didn't pull my hand away right away but you want to retrain your brain so that you have a negative of feeling associated with pulling now. It's no longer bringing you relief, right? Like you're holding your breath and you're like, oh my God, I feel worse. I'm feeling worse. I'm feeling worse. I need air. And then in that process, the stress hormones that are released are actually going to work in your favor. You know why? Because it's waking this up. You're moving from the back of your brain now to the front because you are in a survival situation where you need air and your brain is what do we need to do to get air <laughs> i'll do anything <laughs> i'll do anything and so you're like okay now i'm awake i'm not sleepy anymore i'm out of the trance i need air okay oh that feels so much better and then as soon as you do it and you bring your hand away you feel so good. That first breath feels so good. And you're releasing, you know, that reward in your brain and you're creating a new association. And that's really the basis of it. And then what comes after that is really up to you, right? Like you can continue taking deep breaths and totally change your state. You can, you can lull yourself into a, a sleep state, but feeling, you know, calm and relaxed with using a certain breath technique. You can do a different breath technique where you energize yourself up even more. Like if you're at work and you're in your 2 p.m. slump and you're pulling and you need some energy, then you do an energizing breath technique, right? And then after you do that, you're awake and then you can move and, you know, change your position and do whatever you want. You can start a yoga practice. Like if you are super anxious and you need to like get that anxious energy out of your body, 
then, but you can't get yourself out of bed or get yourself to move even to your mat, do the breath exercise, get yourself to hold your breath, wake up your brain, start breathing, and then you feel more motivated to get up and move. And then you can go into a, a yoga practice where you're doing poses and exercise for a half an hour. And then you're in a completely different state than you were before. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And That's the, great. one of the other things that I love about this exercise is that it does not, it can be done while you're pulling, which is the most, you know, a, not effective, well, yeah, effective uh, time to do it, but you don't have to force yourself to stop pulling right away. You're actually using the process of engaging in those uncomfortable feelings and rerouting them and reassociating them to, to, to hair pulling. And another, another thing about it is that it has trained me to not shy away from discomfort. And I think we touched upon this before is that bring our hair as a way to escape, a way to avoid discomfort and uncomfortable feelings. And we're kind of trained just in general to not ever want to feel like that. Like we're, you know, we live in a, a culture of instant gratification. Like, oh, I'm feeling lonely. I'm going to go on a dating app or, oh, I'm going to, you know, text somebody and reach out to somebody. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, kind of bored. I'm going to jump on Netflix. Like there's always something to get away from negative feelings. Mm -hmm. But this exercise, we're saying, hey there, I'm going to use you today and you're going to work for me, right? Uncomfortable as heck, but you're going to work for me and I'm going to use you as a tool to help me re reroute my brain and retrain this. Wow. Now for people who are watching that maybe haven't watched, oh my gosh, sorry, it's like storming where I am. Um, for people who may not have watched your first episode, can you yeah. tell us, you know, your schedule, how to schedule classes with you and like your time, oh, yeah. everything, just so everyone who's watching now yeah. can reach yeah. out to you. You. Yes. So I am uh, the founder of Trichotillomania Healing Yoga, and that's what it is on Instagram. I also have a Facebook support group where I post inspiring things, engaging content, um, and also just I'm there to answer questions and be supportive to you along your journey. And um, that can be found on Facebook, uh, and it's called Trichotillomania Healing Yoga Support. Um, and I post my classes on Facebook and on Instagram. And I usually, right now, my schedule is such that I'm teaching one class on Friday and one class on Sunday morning. And I am totally open to, you know, changing the schedule and adding, you know, a, a time frame that works for somebody else if you reach out to me. And that's meant. If you want to with me, you can message me through the support group or via Instagram. Um, yeah. And I also do private sessions as well, to, you know, to work one-on-one -on -one and we can get more in depth of, you know, what's going on in your brain specifically and address, you know, what you need to do for your daily routine, your self-care routine. Wow. I just thank you so much for coming on again. You. <laughs> and you have shared so much. I've literally learned so much from you and I'm so excited. Oh, for anyone who's listening now, who's listening on this, the podcast, on Spotify, I mean, what fantastic episodes. I really thank you so much, Alia. Thank you so much for having me back. This has been so much fun. And just, I'm so grateful. Like, this is, this right here, what we're doing is the result of 
my healing. Had I not been, you know, open to sharing this on social media and going without, you know, makeup and investing in my self-care, this would never happen. And so I just want to express so much gratitude to you and to everybody watching. And I hope I can start uh, engaging with, the, you know, people who've seen this. And I'd love to answer their questions anytime. Yay. Well, thank you. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. But thank you. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much, Barbara. Bye. Have a nice night. Bye. You too.